Welcome back to our Tech Talk series. I am Rachel King, Associate Editor, and once again joining me is Adam Chabai, Chair of our FinTech Committee. Hello, Rachel. Great to be here. Uh, I guess I should probably wish you a happy new year. I know it's a bit late. Um, We're almost now a month since Christmas and actually a lot has happened in the fintech world. But I thought we could perhaps take this episode and make a few predictions about the year ahead. Does that sound good? Absolutely. Happy new year, Rachel. And yes, January has so far been very dynamic in the fintech landscape. So if we focus on four topics, we've got cloud, artificial intelligence, central bank digital currency and cybersecurity. The Bank of England today made a a big announcement that they were looking for a a cloud service provider. This is interesting because I guess traditionally central banks have been, would you say, cautious about cloud adoption? Uh, Yes, that's a a very good point, Rachel. And until very recently, uh, cloud was definitely not on the priority list of central banks. This has definitely started to change quite rapidly based on our recently published survey, over 25 of the world's central banks are using cloud for, uh, in some form for some of their operations. And in addition to that, another 20 approximately central banks are actively thinking of applying uh, cloud and integrating it into their toolkit. For me, this makes loads of sense because cloud uh, represents a tool or a technological foundations that can play a very significant role in the context of the transactions and data management infrastructure. And in comparison to, say, DLT and blockchain, it consumes less energy. So yes, I think this trend makes loads of sense, and we can expect more of that happening. I think central banks, as you say, are starting to progress in what they use cloud for, because in the past, they've been using it for things like email storage and now they are starting to progress more into the payment space but I think what is holding them back potentially is this issue of security um, and privacy potentially as well and there was an interesting debate going on about cloud models and the different versions you can get so private public hybrid models do you think that once central banks have found which model works for them will see usage increase a lot? Or do you think this is going to be a slow adoption? That's a very good question, Rachel. Uh, As you correctly suggested, the biggest uh, issue in relation to cloud at the moment is uh, security risks. And that is because in the majority of cases, when central banks or any other organizations want to use cloud, they need to rely on third party providers such as uh, Microsoft. And uh, that of course creates, creates very significant problems not only on the level of technology, but also on the level of compliance and uh, legal and and ethical basis. So I think that uh, central banks need to work in the coming months on uh, development on some sort of standardized rules for the use of cloud and possibly uh, even through some sort of international initiative and international cooperation, because as we can see in many other examples of fintech, a fintech does not know the boundaries and cloud would certainly not be used only by one central bank in one jurisdiction. I think you're right. And I'm sure there will be discussions among the central banks in the in the coming months on this topic. 
But this month, and I think it's been the loudest month possibly for this topic, but the central bank digital currency debate has kicked off. And I think the Bank for International Settlements has helped foster this debate, at least in recent days, with the um, second survey of central bank digital currencies. So they sent out the survey to 66 central banks, um, looking at a number of issues and areas around this topic. Um, and unsurprisingly, the results have shown a slight uptick in the number of central banks investigating the potential use cases. But interestingly, there was this shift away from central banks being interested in wholesale models to retail models. So not necessarily private usage in terms of small bank, like a small group of banks using it, but more to giving the general public access. And that was quite a big change. Uh, indeed, but I think it makes lots of sense when we look at it from the perspective of uh, uh, central banks' mandates and responsibilities. Uh, central banks are essentially public sector organizations who need to deliver some form of uh, public good. And uh, one of the ways of uh, uh, ensuring public good from the perspective of their roles and responsibilities is uh, active encouragement of financial inclusion. And uh, central bank digital currencies can certainly provide a new way of proactively encouraging financial inclusion and providing financial services or providing access to financial services to uh, wider uh, sections of the population. So I could certainly see this happening, especially in the emerging markets. And my personal assumption would be that the majority of central banks who are focusing on this area of uh, the CBDC research will be coming from the uh, emerging economies. I think you're right. And there's been a lot more focus on the cash debate as well. So central banks have obviously a responsibility to provide access to central bank money. At the moment, it's through banknotes and coins. Um, And there was a, a conversation at the World Economic Forum Uh, between David Marcus, who is heading up Facebook's digital money project and policymakers from around the world. And he was arguing that Facebook's not coming in as competition to the central banks. They're merely filling a gap. So where consumers have asked for faster, cheaper forms of digital payment, um, central banks have have not filled that gap. And the private sector has decided to step in and adapt quicker, I guess. So do you think central banks, is there even a need for them to provide an alternative to what the private sector is providing? Do, do we actually need a central bank digital currency? Uh, I think that uh, the issuance of privately issued uh, uh, digital assets and stable coins, such as such as bitcoins, you know, years ago, was the first key stimulus for central banks' uh, research into the CBDCs or central bank digital currencies. Because what do these privately issued digital money do? They have potential to directly challenge central banks' monopoly over monetary policy, and that is uh, central banks' key. Uh, policy tool that they apply in with regards to a wide range of areas that they want to affect in one way or another. And for me, this uh, uh, situation very uh, nicely explains why, according to the BIS survey, which was published very recently, uh, central banks representing 
approximately one-fifth of the world's population are uh, thinking of at least testing CBDCs in the coming years. And unsurprisingly, uh, amongst these uh, central banks is uh, the People's Bank of China. Yeah, my money is on them launching within the next 12 months. They've obviously got a huge um, fintech base there and they've been challenged on a number of fronts by, I guess, Alipay and WeChat Pay. Absolutely. So they, they don't want these third-party providers gathering all this quintessential transaction data. Um, so if, if they don't issue this year, I will be quite surprised. Uh, yes, indeed. I mean, it, now it's a bit of a bit of a competition, right? Or or a healthy race mm. amongst the world's central banks as to who will be the first central bank who will number one issue a central bank digital currency project, and whether or not they will they will do it successfully. But of course, regardless of who will win this uh, uh, gold medal, I mean, we are in the Olympic year after <laughs> all. <laughs> uh, I think that regardless of the results, this is going to very significantly shape the landscape of the digital money and of fintech for the coming months and possibly even for the coming years. We've also had a lot of um, questions about cybersecurity over the Christmas break. Um, just in, I think it was in December, we had the Monetary Authority of Singapore conduct a cyber stress test. Now they're first out of the block when it comes to actually testing their financial system in this way. And there's been a couple of other central banks in the European space who've said that they plan to adopt a similar initiative. Um, do, you th- do you think this is the right approach moving forward? Uh, cybersecurity, first of all, is a very nice example of uh, how fintech brings various type of risks together. Cyber risk is traditionally an operational type of risk, but uh, uh, in the context of the fintech landscape and of the in the context of the increasingly digitalized financial ecosystem, it has implications for financial risks as well. And central banks and regulators are cl- clearly very well aware of this, and uh, uh, I believe they will continue investing heavily into this area. Uh, a key characteristic of uh, cyber risk, as we already discussed earlier, with regards to I think cloud as a as a uh, fintech technology is that uh, cyber risks do not uh, uh, know the borders, you know, do not make uh, distinctions between public and private sector. So any initiative uh, that aims to successfully tackle, cli- uh, excuse me, a cyber risk, not climate risk, which is of course another very important area mm. also for central banks, uh, but cyber risk need to be dealt with uh, through cooperation on the uh, public-private level in the context of the individual jurisdictions, but also on the level of cooperation between or amongst uh, various jurisdictions. So yes, I could see loads of activity being invested into uh, management of cyber risk and loads of cooperation on the public-private as well as cross-jurisdictional level. I think that is one of the biggest issues is that we yet don't have a a global standard for cyber. So for other financial risks, you've got regulation which either demands banks hold more capital or have a limit on how much exposure you have to something. But cyber is something that you cannot defend against in the same way. Now, the Financial Stability Board has developed a, a toolkit. It's kind of like the basics for responding to cyber attacks, which has kind of set the standard. But for emerging markets, which maybe don't have the same resources as advanced economies, asking them to maintain this basic level is difficult. Um, 
And I, I just question how we get this international cooperation started. Does it does it have to be something that the FSB facilitates or should the IMF be in charge, the BIS? Who do you think should be fostering this dialogue? That's a very, very good question, Rachel. Uh, and I certainly believe that it should be either one or multiple of the international standard setting bodies, such as the FSB, such as the IMF, such as the BIS. And uh, what I could probably see as the first step is uh, standardization of terminology, you know, in relation yeah, so to taxonomy. To, exactly, proper taxonomy. I recently had the pleasure to speak to uh, some European central bankers who are actively involved in the area of cyber risk and cyber resilience, and they made it quite clear that uh, uh, terminology is quite inconsistent across the central banking space. So maybe one of the first steps would be to standardize the taxonomy, standardize priorities within that taxonomy, and then based on that, develop some sort of goals uh, and individual steps of what should be done. And yes, I agree that organizations like the FSB have a very important role to play. After all, I think they already published a series of reports that help, that aimed to uh, somehow coordinate uh, the uh, initiatives or at least somehow coordinate the language through which uh, central banks and regulators speak about this. I think data sharing also will need to be part of this international dialogue because central banks are not going to be able to improve their cyber resilience frameworks if they don't share information. Um, Now, some have suggested that artificial intelligence and machine learning could potentially play a role in this kind of cross-sharing of information. Do you think that that's the best way to go forward or? A a very interesting uh, figure that I think uh, uh, characterizes our times fairly well and the fintech era fairly well is that 98% of all the data that there is uh, has been produced or generated in the last couple of years. And artificial intelligence is a way of uh, turning that data into information and potentially intelligence. And uh, the central bankers, as guardians of the financial system, I believe will inevitably need to adopt AI and machine learning into their toolkit in order to be able to successfully fulfill their mandates and responsibilities. And to be fair, some of them are already doing uh, a very good job in that regard. For example, the Financial Conduct Authority here in the United Kingdom, they are researching, possibly even experimenting in the areas of uh, uh, machine-readable and even machine-executable regulation. Uh, Bank of England uh, is uh, integrating uh, AI into, into its now casting models. And they have very recently, I think it was yesterday, even uh, launched a public-private hub for AI and machine learning, which is supposed to generate uh, some sort of, and encourage some sort of cooperation between the relevant uh, uh, actors who have a say and expertise in the area of AI and machine learning. I agree that this year, I think we'll see an uptick in central banks using AI and translating data that they've now gathered into policy or actionable regulation. But in terms of deployment outside of cyber resilience, outside of models and forecasting, is it realistic to think that AI can be deployed in the, like across the, the whole 
central banking universe or are we going to need this hybrid mismatch of certain areas will have AI features but they'll still be controlled with a human element? Uh, that's a tough question uh, that I think even some of the guests that we will be having in the next episodes will find quite quite hard to respond. But I, the way I look at AI and machine learning, it's uh, a, a technology tool that is supposed to help us deal with what with our current work, you know, with our current workload. And for the central banks, this is mainly related to the data and data analysis. Uh, that is inevitably related to their uh, roles and responsibilities. So uh, in relation to your, I would start with your second question, I believe that AI and machine learning is not going to fully replace the uh, human intervention, and that will inevitably be be needed, at least to some extent. Uh, And uh, the second question, uh, whether it can be uh, deployed across all of the areas or across the wide range of areas that central banking covers i think to large extent yes but of course this will need to be a gradual process that will require central banks investments into training into new technologies and uh, into uh, maybe new institutional organization of their uh, respective functions which of course can be a lengthy process I'm going to pick up on one of the things that you said there. I think training is key because this is a completely new area for bankers. I mean, if we look back 20, 30 years, very few banking processes were digital and now everything is becoming digital and we've got robots potentially implementing regulation and the pace of this adoption has been so quick that I question whether central banks have the resources to even understand fully how this information works. Now, I know that some central banks have employed external advisors, they've got new experts in, they're poaching from the new fintech bubble in order to improve their own systems. But do they really need to be outsourcing some of these activities fully or should they stick to the current model and just try and recruit better talent? I think what you have just described, Rachel, very clearly indicates that individual central bank from any jurisdiction is unable to make the most of AI uh, on its own, that uh, it uh, uh, requires some sort of cooperation with the industry, it requires some sort of cooperation possibly with other other central banks. And uh, I think this brings us very nicely to where we started our discussion, and that is cooperation and coordination on the uh, cross-jurisdictional level, but also on the cross-industry level. And uh, back in, I think it was autumn of the last year, the Monetary Authority of Singapore made it quite clear that uh, there needs to be more cooperation between central banks in the area of AI. And hopefully they should even aim to develop some sort of standardized rules for the uh, a use of AI, which should then make the whole process smoother in the medium and long run. So it sounds like the word for 2020 is going to be standardization. We've had a couple of years of central banks launching into the world on their own, starting their own projects, and now they realize there's a need for cooperation. 
But if I can ask you for your one prediction for 2020, what's going to be the big headline that we look back on at the end of the year in terms of this fintech space? That's a, another very, very good question. And, uh, uh, you know, let me be optimistic. You, you know? be optimistic. You can be bold. It can be fairy tale if you want. Uh, you know, so I would probably say something in, in, in the middle, and uh, I would say 2020, the year of a successfully launched CBDC. Will it be China? Uh, I think that China is the most likely one to launch a CBDC, whether it's the one who is most likely to successfully launch a CBDC. That's a, another question. Okay, I'll let you get away with that answer. Um, Adam and I will be back in a few weeks' time with our first topic episode, which is going to delve deeper into cybersecurity from a Bank of England perspective. Um, but if you have any questions in the meantime or topics that you'd like us to discuss, please do let us know. Until then, it's bye from me. Uh, bye-bye. We'll look forward to hearing from you. Bye.